All right. Well, we are um, starting a brand new series called Once I, uh, and the whole subject of the series, in fact, we're going to spend the next few weeks um, talking about one is what, of, what is one of the most uh, sensitive subjects in church. And uh, if you know me, I like to take kind of the areas of sensitivity and say, hey, let's just talk about it for weeks on end and see if we can kill our church, you know? Um, <clears throat> no, the, the, the thing that we're going to talk about, just to kind of, you know, I want to just put it out there, is we're going to talk for the next few weeks um, about something that we all deal with on a day-to-day uh, basis, whether you are a you know, Christian, not a Christian, you're on the periphery of church, no matter who you are, um, as long as almost you're a, a human being, um, you deal and I deal and we all deal uh, with money. And we all know that the Bible talks about it. In fact, you may know this and you may not know this. The subject, if you were to compare all the subjects that Jesus talked about, um, when he talked, uh, the number one subject or the, the, the subject that he frequented the most often was money or possessions. And so we're going to talk about for the next couple of weeks money because I think that there are some wildly misunderstood ideas about money. Because when I was growing up, my thought as it related to God and money, was that God just wanted you to give it all away all the time. And honestly, I didn't want to know what God had to say about it because I thought, you know, God, if I just give everything away all the time, like there are bills at some point to pay. And, and the truth is, for all of us, when it comes to money, it either elicits something inside of us that says, yep, I'm doing great, I'm doing well. For some of us, it's a very, very difficult kind of insecure subject. So let me just level the playing field by telling you probably the worst financial statement I have ever said in my life, okay? Now, you've probably made some mistakes, but you weren't this dumb, okay? So let me just let me, you know, make you feel good about yourself. Um, when I was younger, <laughs> by that I mean when I was, you know, 25, 26, not that young. Um, I had a job and uh, the series called Once I, and so I want to tell you, this is kind of my, my worst once I statement. Um, so I was growing up, uh, household, you know, we, my, my folks did fairly well, this and that kind of stuff. And uh, I got a job. I was a youth pastor um, and man, I was making a killing. Um, in fact, <clears throat> this is kind of funny. Uh, I actually made way less then than I did now. And if you don't know my story, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, but I actually, am, I'm only small, small part-time with the church. My, I run my, my family's meat company, Register Sausage. Shout out. If you like Bradley Sausage, man, we love you, but you got, there's so many other churches that you should go to. Okay. <laughs> I'm only kind of kidding, but um, I was a youth pastor, and man, I was making a whopping, you know, maybe like $31,000. Now, for some of you, you're like, you know, I make $7.99 or whatever minimum wages these days, eight ninety-five, dollars uh, and so $30,000 sounds like, a, you know, a, oh my gosh, you know, holy cow, and for some of you, you thought, and you were able to live off of that? Now, here's what you need to know about my, that was probably the richest I'd ever felt, and probably still the richest I feel like I've ever been, and here's why. I was single. I lived in a house with four other dudes, and it was not a nice house. So rent was low. We split utilities four ways, cable four ways. Um, I didn't have a car payment. I didn't have a phone payment. I didn't have an inch. Like, I legitimately had no payments. I had almost $30,000 a year of just like, do whatever you want, discretionary income. And to this day, I cannot tell, like, I didn't save a dime. I could not tell you what I did with any of it. Now, <laughs> That's a true story. Let me tell you what's worse. I did it on purpose. <laughs> now, that might sound weird to say, but <clears throat> the worst, you know, once I statement that I've ever had is my wife and I, um, we were dating at the time and we were kind of around, maybe we were engaged, but sometime around that, you know, kind of making the transition. 
And I remember having a conversation, and she was in grad school, and so she was, you know, eating, you know, peanut butter and jellies and ramen, and here I was saying, hey, let's go to, you know, what, what, what steakhouse do you want to go to tonight, you know? I remember talking, and she said, you know, and very loving, very kind, you know how this is. Whenever you bring up anything about money, you always want to bring it up very, very gently. She said, do you ever think about, you know, maybe you should save some of it? <laughs> to which I said, yeah, of course. But I don't think this is the right time. <laughs> She's, well, why not? Because I have the rest of my life to save. I'm only single once, so I want to live it up and spend whatever I want to spend while I don't have any responsibilities. And let me tell you this. Okay. If you are in that stage of life right now, after, the, after church is over, come to the front and I will slap you in the face, okay? <laughs> and I will tell you how dumb that is. But here was, here was my thought. We, we've all been there, right? Once I X, Y, Z or ABC or fill in the blank, then I will fill in the blank. Once I get a job, once I graduate college, once I, uh, you know, get a promotion, once I, um, you know, have, have a wife, once I have responsibilities, once I have kids, and then you have kids and, and they're little and their daycare costs as much as your college. And so you think, okay, you know, once they graduate from daycare and, and once they get, you know, <laughs> ain't nobody going to pub, private school. We're going public because that junk is free 99. Like... <laughs> You know, once they do that or, or, or once, you know, the kids get out of the house or, or once we retire. But at some point, once I, this is then how I'm going to handle our money. Now, now this is why this is so important. Because oftentimes, as we think about money, we think about a stage of life. Once I get to this stage, then I will start to be wise. But the problem is, the problem is, is very few people ever take the time to say, let's examine how we think about money. And here's why that's important. Because how you think about something is not contingent on a stage. How you think about something is simply a perspective. And so for the next couple of weeks, I want to unearth for us what I think is God's perspective as it relates to our money. Now, let me going to clear the air here. At no point in the next three weeks are we going to talk about giving. For some of us, that's all we heard about when it related to God and money and church. We are not going to talk about giving because I think that God has called us, especially if you're a believer, he has given us a ministry of reconciliation that God so loved the world, he gave his only son for us. And he has given us lots of tools and lots of resources and how we deal and think about all of that matters. Now, if you've got your Bible, um, I want you to open up in, in a second to uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I know everybody's having their quiet time in Chronicles this morning, so um, let me kind of fill in the, the blank on what's happening here. There's a guy named King David. Now, many of you have heard of King David. Uh, king David was the greatest king in the, in the history of the nation of Israel. Israel was essentially uh, the God squad in the Old Testament. They were God's chosen nation. Started with the dude Abraham, progressed on, eventually David. He's, he, he was born um, in kind of a lowly family. In fact, David was born in a family with, with a lot of other sons. And one day a prophet comes to um, his dad's house. His dad's name was Jesse. Goes to Jesse's house and says, Jesse, do you have any sons? He says, yep, here's my sons. He said, nope, 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 nope. Asks a really weird question. Do you have any other ones? <laughs> Which he actually says, yes. 
Because David was the guy who tended the sheep. We've said this over and over, but imagine your social and emotional IQ if all you did all day was hang out in a field with sheep, okay? So he says, yes, but he's out with the sheep. You probably don't want to talk to him. He says, bring him anyways. Sure enough, David, you are going to be king. David has a wild ascension into authority. And over a period of, of, of lots of years and lots of events, David becomes king of the nation of Israel. And David, as he would war with other nations, as he would expound the territory in the nation of Israel, comes to a conclusion one day. God, every other God has a house. Every other God has a temple except for you. And in fact, God, let me just you know, be honest, be transparent here. God, I have a house and I have an extraordinary house. I am the king, but God, you dwell in a tent. So God, I want to build you house, a temple to which God will respond to David. David, I'm honored at the fact and the idea that you would want to build me a house, but it's not you who's going to build it. It's your son Solomon. And this is kind of a separate side principle. David does something extraordinary here. He doesn't say, okay, well, I'm not going to do anything. He says, well, here's what I'm going to do then. Though it might not be my turn, I'm going to prepare for the turn of the person who will go after me. And so David launches this huge building campaign. This was the, kind of the first building campaign in the entire history of the, of the church, of the nation of Israel. Before this, they had just kind of lived day to day off manna and, and, and you know, some bread and, and some things like that. So as they launched this building campaign... David pledges a massive amount of his own personal wealth. David has been very lucky. This is kind of towards the end of his kingship. In fact, after this chapter, at the end of this chapter, you know, it talks about how David you know, died. So David, who's lived a while, who's accumulated lots of personal wealth as the king, says, and here's all of the things I am giving to the building fund. Cast vision to the nation of Israel. And something happened when he did that that I'm convinced has never happened in a church since. They started giving and they gave so much and so much and so much. Eventually, they had to say, stop giving. Okay? I just tell you, we haven't gotten to that point yet. Okay? I mean, they just gave and they gave and they gave and they gave and they gave. And in response to this, David says a prayer. And here's what we're going to read today. As David says this prayer, he is going to talk about what I think are the principles behind why they had such extraordinary generosity. In fact, not just generosity. It talks about David's perspective. And his perspective is what drove everything he did, just like you and I. So here's what David prayed in, in, in uh, Chronicles chapter 29. We're going to start at verse, actually, I'm going to read verse, 20, verse 9, not 29. Chapter 29, verse 9, to get going, get a little momentum. It says, Then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly, for with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord, and David the king also rejoiced. Verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, he said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our father forever and ever. He says, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and on the earth is yours, and yours is the kingdom. He starts, he starts kind of in this, in this posture of saying, God, let me, just, let me just pause for a second and say, wow. 
God, you, to you alone is the kingdom, to you alone is the glory, to you alone is the power, to you alone is the authority. God, you, I'm in awe of. And then he starts to talk about how it relates to him. Verse 12. Both riches and honor come from you. And you rule over all in your hand and your power and might. And in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. He says, God, all this power, all this might, all this strength, all this wealth, all this riches, God, both, both wealth and honor come from you. Now, David who if we were to look at the narrative as it relates to what it would look like for him to exist today, came from nowhere, poorest of the poor, and ascended to become president. Most powerful person perhaps on planet earth at this time, and he wasn't a president, he was king. If he said day was day and night was night, and the day was day and night was night, but if he decided to flip-flop it and night was day and day was night, hey, he was king, he could do what he wanted. He had all of the power and the authority. And he says, I am not mistaken. Everything I have comes from you. All honor, all wealth, all power, and all authority comes from you. And I think David had a bit of a unique perspective because one of the things that David had is he had such an unlikely story. I think David was able to look back at his life and says, God, without you, there's no way this would have happened. The problem is for us, we from one perspective don't really see that everything comes from God. We see that everything came from our hard work and our education from our hard work and our education, or perhaps for you, it's a lack of education, but you worked really, really hard anyway. Everything comes, the power that I have, the wealth that I have, the authority that I have, because here's probably what's true, whether this is true of you now or will be true of you later, is that you have power and you have authority. Almost every parent who's in here, everybody who works in the working world, at, at some place in some avenue of life, you walk into the room and you're the most powerful person in the room. Everybody's looking to you. Parents or our kids are looking to you. Your direct reports are looking to you. Or someday your direct reports will look to you. And here's what we have a tendency to think. I'm here because I worked hard. And you did work hard. And perhaps you are educated. But here's what David understood. <laughs> Though that might be true, God, even my ability to do that came from you. Let me pause and say this. You had no control. I had no control. We have no control over the fact that many of us were born into this country. A country that we had, wherever you are, extraordinary opportunity. Net-net compared to any other country in the world, we have extraordinary opportunity. Well, I didn't have any control that I wasn't born into a, a warring nation that when I was, you know, born, I wasn't born into South Sudan, who because of, you know, tribal wars and tribal leaders and things that were going on, I would be lucky if I escaped. 
I'll be lucky if I escaped and was able to live inside a refugee camp with hundreds of thousands of other people simply to survive. That would be lucky. I'm not in control of that. I'm not in control of the fact that I was born into a family who honestly, not only was I not good at school, I hated school. I did okay in school. I passed, okay, just to be real straightforward. I passed. Let me tell you, it wasn't because I worked hard. It was because I had parents who literally took away everything they could possibly take away from me until they took away sports. And I said, whoa, 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 I'll pass. I get it. I get it. I can't tell you how many parent teacher conferences. I went to summer school. Some of you guys, you know, let me just tell you. You haven't been to school until you've been to summer school. That is living the dream. Okay, I went to adult ed before they had virtual school. I mean, I'm telling you, I'm lucky. I'm just genuinely lucky. And you're lucky. And we're all, the fact that you are sitting here, let me tell you, if you ever make a family income of about $35,000, you are in the top 1% of wage earners on a global standard. You don't have control over that. And yeah, you worked hard, but come on. What did you work hard at? What did you work hard at? Maybe, maybe you're, you're fantastic with art, you know, and you can paint or you can graphic design or the way that you can mix patterns and colors and things. It's just, oh, wow, you know, it's incredible. Man, maybe you're like an unbelievable, like, Instagrammer or something like that. Like, you didn't do anything with your life. You just took pictures. And now you're famous. Let me just tell you. You didn't choose to be artistically gifted. You might have worked at it and, and, and developed it. One of the things I've realized about myself recently, and this took me a while to, to really grasp this with me. Um, again, day to day, a lot of my job is with a meat company, and I, um, with, 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 with most small businesses, you do a bunch of different stuff. And I kind of think of like somebody who, you know, is a communicator and, and you know, people person. <laughs> They're like the opposite of accountants, Okay. But I love accounting. Now, that sounds ridiculous, okay? But I love, like, managerial accounting. If you give me QuickBooks and Excel spreadsheets, and I can just take all of the data and do whatever I want with it and export it and import it, and I can, you know, kind of make it look how I want it to look and make it say what I want to say to get the best possible data to make the most informed decisions, like, I will lock myself in a room and not talk to anybody for a week and be like, oh, my gosh. And that's what, and if you divide that by that and add that, then, oh, my, then then this is what we need to do as a company. I love that. Let me tell you, I had no decision decision to be like that. And if you ever want to get coffee and talk QuickBooks, come on, come on, come on. You know, we can talk about it and you could probably teach me some stuff, but here's the deal. I didn't have control of that. I didn't choose that. And they would say, of course, of course you might've worked hard, but you were given the raw materials. You were given the resources and you were given fertile ground to grow. And for some of us, it wasn't even our choice to grow. Our parents just pushed it so hard. We had no choice. We oftentimes think, no, it's because I'm so great. (laughs) David would say, are you kidding me? Let's look at what we have. And let's look at where it came from. He continues and he says this extraordinary statement. He says, but who am I and what is my people that we should be able thus to offer willingly? He says, God, it's, it's incredible. I'm just thankful that I'm even able to give to you, that I'm even able to do this, that I have this. No, let me contrast this with oftentimes our perspective. Our perspective is oftentimes, I'm not thankful for what I have. 
I'm jealous or envious of what they have. I'm discontent with what they have. I'm not, wow. I'm, I wish, I wish, I wish I had that. Where David felt in awe, we feel often entitled. And not that we don't continue to work hard and do everything and become everything God's called us to be. But David just said, wow. And in fact, God, it's, it's crazy that I'm even able to be a part of what you're doing. He continues, verse 14, for all things come from you and of your own hand have we given. Now, this is, this is he's starting to really unpack what we're getting into today. He says, and God, everything that I have, God, I'm simply doing with what you've already given me out of your hand. So God, David would say, I'm giving back to you. But let me just tell you, God, like, I'm not giving you what's mine. I'm giving you what's already yours, and I'm just giving it back to you. Because this isn't mine. This is yours. He says, for we are strangers before you and sojourners, as all our fathers were. Our days on the earth are like a shadow, and there is no abiding. He says, O Lord, our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a house for your holy name, this is so important. This is what I think is the essential building block as it relates to us viewing God and what God has entrusted us with. He says, for building you a house for your holy name, it comes from your hand. And by the way, it's all your own. God, everything that I have is not mine. It's yours. Yeah, my life, everything's for you, for you. And everything that you've given me is yours. Now, you want to know what we call somebody who has been given something that's not theirs? Because we, we do this, or some of us do this at least. Perhaps you've got a, a financial planner or a financial manager. And you say, okay, here's my stuff. Here's my, you know, savings. Here's my retirement. Here's my, you know, whatever, IRA, 401K, whatever thing you got going on. For some of you, it's like, dude, I'm still trying to get some Chipotle after this service. Okay, that's, that's as far as I've gotten. And that's totally okay. Let me, and I'll tell you why in a second. If I were to give, as we have a financial manager, my money, our money, our savings, and say to him, here is all of this, or for us, here's this, you know, he would never take that and say, I am so rich. Because it's not his. You know what he is? He's a manager, not an owner. And I think for many of us, we've bought into this idea that we're owners, not managers. David takes a step back and says, look, look, God, everything that I have, I'm like, this is all yours, God. I'm not going to, I have no qualms about this. Everything that I have, everything that I am, God, it's yours. This is not mine. I have just given, been given the responsibility and the stewardship to manage it and to manage it well. And so, God, I've, I've given back to you, but yeah, I've just given back to you what you've given me to manage already. Because, God, all of this is yours. Make this really, really obvious and, and plain. We're managers, not owners. In every realm of life, 
Paul would talk about this. He would say, man, I have been crucified with Christ, and this life I live in the flesh is no longer mine, but, but this life I live is now, essentially, he said, would say, God, it, it's yours. I live to you who gave himself up for me. And so God would look at us and say, come on, it's not yours, but I have given it to you to manage, to steward. Now, for me, this is so clear. Because as I said, with our meat company, up until actually January 1st of this year, 2019, we, January 1st, we kind of had a little bit of an ownership transition with some equity stuff. But up until that point, the company was solely my, my, my parents. I managed it. And people would ask me, so how, you know, how involved is your dad? I'd say, well, he'd go visit a, a couple Walmarts a week, and then he just calls me and bugs the you know, stew out of me and asks me a hundred questions. I'm like, dad, 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 whatever, you know. I manage it. Small business, I'm over a lot of the you know, payables, the receivables, the cash flow, uh, a lot of the average day's outstandings and stuff like that, and a myriad of a bunch of other like sales reports and things that I do on, on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. But one of the things that I do is I decide what bills we pay and what bills we don't pay. And every once in a while, I'll talk to my dad. We have a wonderful relationship. And I'll say, Dad, this is what I have scheduled for us to pay this week. I'll you know, send him an email, and he'll you know, email me back. He'll come back and say, hey, actually, I, I see what you're doing. I want to pay this bill instead. You know what I say when he says that? I don't say, but, Dad, it's mine. We come, my whole family is a background in the military. They're all Marines. And tell my dad he was a type 1 juvenile diabetic. So you know what we say when he says, this is what I want to do instead? Yes, sir. And that's it. You want to know why? Because it's his. It's his. But let me tell you, as someone who for the last five years has managed what is someone else's on a day-to-day basis, there are two primary things that I think functionally change how we view and we think about money. Number one, number one, and this is probably the most important thing that I do in my job. If I am in charge of managing, I'm accountable for knowing what I do with what I'm in charge of managing. If I am in charge of managing, I know that I'm accountable for knowing what I do with what I manage. Now, for some of us, let me just tell you, as you hear about this, it's not that you just don't care, it's not that you just don't think, just perhaps no one has ever sat down and talked to you and said, hey, As managers, we're accountable for where we spend what was managed. And if God has given us stuff to manage, wealth to manage, resources to manage, doesn't it make sense that we would know where it went? For most of us, we kind of have an idea. But do you actually know? I don't mean that condemning. I mean that honestly. It makes all the difference in the world. Can you, come on, can you imagine this? I walk into my financial planner's office and I say, hey, <clears throat> um, you know, I know we have been depositing, you know, regularly and it kind of auto drafts and all this kind of stuff. And so here's, you know, the money that we've got or here's what I, I think we have. Um, can you show me what you did with the money? He's like, that's a good question. Let me get back to you in a little while. You know, let me think about it. I'm going to pray about that and I'm going to, you know, see if I can look some stuff up and I'm going to see perhaps what I do with your money. In fact, actually, you know, it's funny you ask that. I actually have a couple IOUs because I spent a little bit more of your money than you actually had. So you're, you know, you actually don't have as much as you thought you had. 
<laughs> I would say, hey, that's so awesome. Actually, I wouldn't say that's so awesome. I'd say, are you kidding me? You're fired and you perhaps sued. Now, come on. Just ask a really simple question. And this is why I think this is so important. The simple question is, do you know where what you have been given to manage has been managed? And the reason this is so important is because management is not contingent on a stage or an amount. It is a position. It is a perspective. It is a responsibility, not a stage. You see, if I've given you, let's say I give you something like easy to manage. I don't know. Let's say I, I, I give you my keys. Not even like my car, just my keys. I got an extra set, right? Not, not a lot to manage. You just, but, but please keep up with my keys because I lose my keys all the time. So I need you to manage my keys so that way you have my keys, right? You have my keys and okay, I have given that. It's not your keys, those are my keys. You can't take my car wherever you want to. Those are, again, those are my keys. So don't you dare take my keys, okay? So, you know, you can take this. But if I also say manage my, here, here's my children, very valuable, very, I mean, if, if you have kids, you know this, it's like your heart dripped out of your chest and then it runs around going up and downstairs and falling down all the time, okay? That's children. If I say, hey, will you watch my kids? That is so much bigger of a responsibility, but both of them are managers. So the idea here is so simple. is that we're managers. We're managers. How would you spend, think, and track if you assumed a position and a perspective of management, not of ownership? The second one is this, and this, this is why this is so extraordinarily freeing. Some of you have a lot. Or some of you don't have a lot, but you're going to have a lot. You're going to invent that next new thing, or you're not even going to invent a thing. You're going to, you know, hashtag something, and it's going to blow up, and all of a sudden you're going to have 100 million thousand followers, and everybody's going to be like, oh my gosh, look at the sweet glasses they're wearing. I want to buy 100, and you're going to just make, you know, lots and lots of money on it. Or you're going to invent an app, or you're going to do something, you know, you're going to be a, an accountant, you know, you're going to do whatever you're going to do. You're going to be a nurse. You're going to be with your, your kids, whatever it is. Some of you, you're going to have a lot. I mean, a lot, a lot. Like, not like, not like our building a lot, like, like you're going to have, a, like you could pay for seven of our DCCs, okay? Here's why this is important. When you have been given a lot to manage, not to own, you should never feel bad. You should simply feel responsible. You should never feel bad. You should only feel responsible. The more I am entrusting you with, the higher the level of responsibility you have. Because we're managers, not owners. We're managers. So here's what I want you to know and do. Simply to ask this question. If I'm a manager, if I viewed everything through I, had, I have through the lens of management and stewardship, what would be different? If I treated my money like somebody else that I gave money to, what would I do and think different? Here's what I guess. Here's what I guess. And this is why I love talking about this. There'd be a good chance that much more of us 
wouldn't have as much debt as we have. Not that if you have debt, it's like, oh my gosh, you're a sinner, you're going to hell. Like, no, we, none of us have, many of us have never been taught this, talked about this. It's been pushed aside because it's so sensitive, and nobody wants to make anybody feel bad. And you shouldn't feel bad. We should just, again, feel responsible about this. But what would be different? What would be different if we viewed everything we had through the lens of management, not ownership? Again, we'd probably have less debt. We'd probably be more okay with, you know, whatever needs to happen needs to happen. God, whatever you will say you want to do and wherever you say you want to go, whatever you say you want to put your emphasis towards, God, that's what I'll do because I'm just a manager of what's yours. Let me tell you, I'll end with this. If you are young, if you are, I'm going to say, this is kind of for everybody, but especially if you are below the age of 30, this is so important for you. Let me tell you, there are adults all, I'm not, you're an adult, but I mean, there are like, you know, parents and grandparents and great-grandparents that wish they had started viewing money like this from the time that they were young. They wish they would have had the perspective to say, everything that I acquire is not for my consumption, but perhaps I'm to steward and to manage this well and wisely. Because here's what we believe. God has given us his son, our savior, Jesus, to reconcile us to him, to give us life, to give us salvation. And he has given the tools and the resources to take this gospel to the nations. He says, so manage this, everything that I have given you, because you're a manager, not an owner. How would our church be different? How would your life be different? How would our spending be different? How would our tracking be different? Would we even at least know where it goes if we were managers, not owners? Let's pray together. God, I pray God, you set your son to set us free, but many of us have been enslaved by financial burdens. And in this room, there's a generation of young people who sit on the precipice of a lot of decisions. In this room, there are some, some older folks who have been through that time and perhaps has the, has the scars to show for it, or perhaps have the wonderful decisions that could speak of the freedom God, would you please help us to know that everything that we have, including our money, including our wealth, is to be managed, not to be owned. God, everything belongs to you. Everything comes from you. At the end of the day, everything will go back to you, and it's just yours. And for our short time on planet Earth, you have given us each a responsibility to manage. And whether we're 10, whether we're 20, whether we're 50, whether we're 100 years old, God, you have given us things to manage. Would you please help us to be great managers of your, that the world would know the truth of your son, our Savior, Jesus. Help us to see through the lens of responsibility, not entitlement, of management, not ownership. And it's in your extraordinary name we pray. Amen.